Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, my dear listener, for being with us for another edition of The Coaching Show, a podcast that I think is uh, really renowned for its clever naming, don't you think, Alex? It's... <laughs> Thanks. That was our other Alex. We've got an all-Alex show for you today. And <laughs> I, I was like, I'm, am I talking with my mind now? <laughs> Did, what just happened? <laughs> We, uh, not yet. Uh, all right. You've already heard. We've spoiled. There's nothing uh, left for us to hide from you. We've got uh, two Alexanders today, an Alexander and an Alex, two Alexes. Um, uh, the first Alex, the, the second Alex you heard is actually the first Alex I want to introduce. Our in-studio guest co-host right here in sunny San Diego, California, uh, Alex Terranova is a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach. He's host of his own podcast called The Dream Mason Podcast. He helps build strong and successful men. He helps uh, men boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, create the strategy and steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their lives. He's uh, also quite a personality. You can connect with him on the Instagram. I understand it's very popular with uh, by looking for at Inspirational Alex or go to his website, The Dream Mason. He's been a feature on everything from... The, uh, uh, Focus TV's Good Morning, La La Land, NBC Radio, Love Living Radio, and an episode of The Villain Crusher, which you'll have to explain yourself about. Well, uh, first, I want to clarify that I don't build strong men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was great. Yeah, you said I build strong and successful men. Do I come down to the subway and bother you when you work? <laughs> no, I don't. That was, I, I w- you know what? If, if I had a superpower, that would be a good one, though. To be able to build strong and successful men and then put them out into the world in important positions? I feel like we've taken a wrong turn here. <laughs> I apologize for having misspoken during your intro, <laughs> Mr. Terranova. Would you like to tell the people, uh, so you're a coach, you've been a coach for how long? Four years. Okay, you're a young man, you, you're you uh, successful. Anything else that we need to know about you? Are you in uh, love? Do you have a sweetheart? I am in love. I have a sweetheart. We just got back from New Orleans. What she is liked my friends, which is... A Pretty big deal, right? To like your friends. Wait a second, you have friends? I, I do. One, one, and they have a lot of other friends. What's it like? Um, okay. Well, so good. Anything you need to report about that relationship? No, it's going do you great. Cohabit? Do you live in the same place? It's going. We do not. No. Good. No. I w- but I w- it's it's going great. Recommend yeah. that. Okay. Good. Uh, what we need you to know, my dear listener, before we introduce our other Alex, which is the primary Alex, in case you're looking for the alpha Alex today, the um. <laughs> The uh, we want you to know about some conferences coming up. You uh, sometimes turn to this program to learn stuff, and one of the things you can learn is that there's a conversation singular among masters, plural conversation. Uh, this is a conference where it's basically one conversation. All 200 people who are uh, invited into the conference sit with the uh, speaker for the entire day. So it's more of a conversation. It's an extraordinary opportunity to be in a small room with. Uh, people this year it's going to be people like Marianne Williamson and John Gray in the past it's been Martha Beck and uh, Werner Earhart extraordinary people and leaders in the field of self-development and and coaching and leadership development so check it out conversation singular among masters plural dot com Uh, their conference is in May in Baltimore and what better time to go to Baltimore than in May also the Yankees are going to be in town Um, 
All right. Uh, other conferences you need to know about. The Association of Coach Training Organizations is having their annual conference in Victoria, B.C. in June. No better place to be. And also, if you're in the coach training business or would like to be, go check it out. Association of Coach Training Organizations is at ACTO online, A-C-T-O online dot O-R-G. And then, of course, this is the big year. The International Coach Federation is having their international conference, Converge 2019. will be in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Have you been to Czechoslovakia? I have not, but I hear a few of our friends are speaking. Indeed. It's pretty exciting. Indeed. A couple of our friends are speaking. We know people. And uh, it's going to be an extraordinary conference. Are you going? I don't know yet. I haven't. Tax deductible reason yeah. to go to Prague, Czechoslovakia. Oh. Are you going? Probably not, but <gasps> maybe I'll consider it now. Criminal. All right. Uh Let's talk about, uh, do you want to introduce our guest? I'm, I'm delighted yeah. to have him back. Sure. All right. Ready I'll, to go. Yeah. <laughs> That's your cue. Nice so our, segue. Our guest today is an organizational psychologist, consultant, executive coach, and team coach internationally known for his pioneering approach and state of mind, state of mind research with organizational leaders. Alexander Ka Kaye. So you practiced and I then you it. blew it. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Alexander Kaye. He got, he said I was right. Yeah. Is the CEO of Corentis, a coaching and consulting organization dedicated to transforming teams. And you've been doing this for 25 years. Corporations, private businesses, nonprofits, government agencies, NGOs, in more than 30 countries across five continents. You're also, the f you're also on the faculty of Georgetown University. You, you seem like you're just reading this for the first time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. Hey, look around outside. Where do you find yourself today? Where in, in the world? Uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, it's a beautiful place to be from. Get out. Get out. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, just visiting a client, not from here, but um, visiting today. Right. You're actually a Boston resident, are you not? I am. Yeah. Beautiful. For 10 years now. With your wife and three daughters. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. You're a man yeah. who's been surrounded by women for a while now. Yes. Anything you, any I, words of advice to other parents, to other men, to other fathers out there, fathers of daughters? Yeah, I think for fathers, um, biggest word of advice is learn to listen. Learn to listen, learn to ask questions, and learn to, to, to really engage in, in complexity and to have an open heart and a lot of love. That's where I go. That was such a, an inspiring answer. I actually <laughs> feel better about being a dad today. I did one of those things where right before I left the house, the, uh, my soon-to-be teenage daughter um, was giving me attitude. And it's, it's surprising the impact that can have on your whole day, yes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very surprising. <laughs> I, I feel you. I, Alexander and I are, uh, are bonding. Do you prefer Alex, Alexander, or? So I love, I, I like Alexander, if that's okay. It's the name that was uh, given to me by uh, my parents. And when my mother passed, uh, one of the promises I made was that, because uh, a lot of people call me Alex or even Al, and I made a promise that uh, from that point forward, it would always be Alexander. Nice. Mm. Thank you so much, and What a beautiful yeah. story. All right. Well, uh, you and I, we've been around for a while. We've done this for a while. I'm delighted to hear that you're on the faculty of Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. Tell me, uh, since uh, you work there uh, and since you find yourself in Washington, D.C. today, transformational leadership seems to be the thing that's largely missing in our political arena and in our governmental organizations these days. If you could um, give one 
piece of advice, one sort of direction to coaches working in the or in the governmental or NGO space? What would it be? On the topic of leadership and the topic of teams, Christopher. Great question. I was talk. I was looking at leadership, but I'll. Um, uh, what a great segue! If you don't mind answering both. Sure. So, the 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 topic of leadership, in terms of its um, roots and transformation, for me is number one is the building of self awareness. I, you know, we, we're so we get so hung up on skills and competencies and tools and practices and methods and frameworks. And yet I've always believed, and I believe to this day, that step number one is always self-awareness. And it's self-awareness of who we are on the inside, how we operate on the inside, enhancing and limiting factors, but it's also self-awareness of the impact we have in the world and the contagious nature of our leadership. We are contagious by nature. Leadership is a public act, and they're watching everything we do. Having self-awareness and the awareness of the impact, I think, is step one in I think it's sorely missing, and I also think it's the hardest thing to teach. Indeed. And yet you do, so good on you. Do you want to talk about the team approach and how that's different uh, than dealing with individual leaders one-on-one -on -one behind closed doors? Sure. So it's it's a big topic, and it's um, it's a topic I've been, I've been in since about 20, 22 years now. I began as early in my career as a consultant, really being fascinated by uh, coming out of my master's program at Columbia and walking into a whole series of team situations, both inside the consulting firm I was in, but also clients, and really looking at this, the, the lack of ability to collaborate, to work together, to get things done, to actually work in a way that was more energized and dynamic, the amount of dysfunction that occurred when a group of people came together, it became such a fascinating point of interest for me that I've dedicated my uh, my career to it. How do we get people excited about this? Like, how do we get people <laughs> excited about transformational leadership? So I, I think, um, so the, the way that, I'll go to the team piece. The, the, the way that the team piece becomes exciting in our world at Corentis is through we, we call the modality of team coaching. See, when I started off years ago, I looked at the different levers that I had at my disposal to work with teams. It was team building or team training or team facilitation or team consulting. And all of those required me to be in the driver's seat, to be imparting wisdom, building skills, running the meeting. And exciting and as powerful as it was, I noticed a lack of sustainability in the results. Coming out of Columbia, having done work in group dynamics and, and the rest, I started to wonder what would it be like if instead of running the meeting, running uh, uh, the, the facilitation technique or teaching or parting wisdom, what if we just watched the teams in their business environments do their real work? And as we watched them do their real work, gather data and intervene real time as they did their real work so that they could auto-regulate and become their own change agents and that made me very excited it made my clients excited and i think in the industry today it's what's really turning the corner on team development writ large does that make sense it, uh, it sure does it makes uh, it opens more questions than it answers though i think that 
let's let's maybe take a step back for those of us sort of new to newer to the team conversation. Uh, clearly, there are two types of teams or groups that we might be working with. One is a team that has come together newly or or hasn't been a team before, right? Sometimes coaches do this with like opening up a. a coaching group right all left-handed managers of hr you know let's meet on wednesdays and and do group coaching or some uh, some might call it a team or a newly formed team say a project team that's come together of disparate uh people from different different departments in an organization so i'm i'm categorizing either of those things as like a new team that doesn't right. know each other doesn't have their ingrained patterns or their power dynamics necessarily worked out then there's existing teams and for most of us as coaches i think it's a it's a terrifying prospect <laughs> to go in and work with an existing team because they've already worked out their hierarchy their power dynamics their subtleties and you're essentially fresh meat when you walk into that are you mostly working with this sort of existing team and if so aren't you terrified and shouldn't you just run away <laughs> yes i am terrified and 150 teams later my heart my heart still beats fast. It's it's amazing to walk into that space and notice the heartbeat and sit at the table and start to hear all of the self-doubt. I can't do this. What am I doing here? I'll never make a difference. And along with the self-doubt, start to notice how all the the the, the personal um, the personal insecurities show up. It, it is a peer group and someone's not looking at me the right way, or they didn't say hello, or they don't like me, and start to notice how in this pure context, I am less than or not able to. So yeah, it's it's scary. And then on top of that, now I have to add value, and I have to help this team perform, be more effective, be more cohesive, in a way that, that that's really tangible, and that adds to them, and that's not too theoretical. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's a tall order. And, but it's uh, it's an amazing game, Chris. We call it the X Games of coaching, like <laughs> extreme sports. I mean, coaching is coaching is challenging enough. You sit in a room with eight people and you engage the coaching conversations. Yeah, it's the X sports, X Games. That's incredible. Do you? And I know Alex uh, is an expert at X Games. But uh, one quick question: Do you go in alone? Do you take a team of people? Do you have reinforcements? Do you have people you can call? What do you do? So. When we work with teams, it's typically one of us with the team. Uh, we like to be more than one. One person can be sensing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What is it to sense with the data? One person can be making the moves, which are the interventions. It's, it's nice to be two. Sometimes in smaller teams, that can be a little heavy optically and just energetically, and it's expensive. So we end up being typically alone. Although there are others who help us in, when we do our interviews up front, maybe assimilate the data, create our reports, and we have a team of researchers behind who can help us with uh, various uh, products, products and techniques and tools. You talked about being nervous or having the jitters even after you know 150 teams that you've worked with. What you know advice would you give to? coaches that are starting out, that are younger in their career, that maybe have worked with a team or two, maybe they haven't worked with any, but they actually want to be where you're at? Yeah, that's a great question. And I also do want to get back to the earlier question around the different types of teams, so I hold that here as a, as a marker. Um, what's the advice that I give? 
I think so. There, there's two pieces of it. One is on preparation and one is in situ. For, for me, working with teams um, increases the amount of RAM, pure RAM that I need to use with a lot more energy exertion. So I always say if you're going to do a, a day with teams, sleep well, eat well, be hydrated, oxygenate, Whatever mind-body practices you have, use them. If you're in mindfulness or meditation or you have a yoga practice, really, really engage those before coming in. And then clear the decks. If you have outstanding emails or work to do, you're distracted, clear the decks. Do the extra work required to be fully present because it, it really is a system of presence. In situ, when, when, when you're there and you start to, to feel the fatigue or you start to feel disconnected or maybe a little bit worried or concerned, um, I just like to engage my practices. I have a presence practice where I come to my senses. Um, I don't mind standing up and moving around to get my physiology moving. I have a coherence practice through breathing where I do heart breathing and engage myself into more of a, a coherent heart rhythm. Use your practices. Hydrate as you play. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Watch the heavy carb foods. Stay light. Stay Whatever your diet is, make sure it's happening that day. And move around so it's a combination of the mind and the body but it's always at work in these situations also kevlar go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so you're still doing what i love about that is even though you have all this experience you're still using the tools you're still using the practices you haven't gone away from the things that helped you get where you're going yeah thanks for saying that um i approach this work with uh, humility you know when my arrogance takes over i typically fail when I think I know and I've got this thing handled and I'm a master, then I typically start to not do the right work. When I approach it from a sense of humility or beginner's mind and say, this is a new team, these are new people, you don't know. Yes, you know, but you don't. So approach each situation with the rigor that the situation deserves, especially perhaps with the money they're paying. If, if, if you're a high-performance athlete, every race counts. And so I, you know, I tend to view these things that way. And so every team counts. And, and that's, the, that's, that's one way of looking at the world. I know we've got a lot to cover, and I appreciate so much the depth of your um, responses as well as the lightness of your humor. Let's go back, <laughs> uh, let's go back a, sec, a sec to team coaching. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm, uh, forgive me if I'm hitting this too hard, but it's really, I love that you're uh, so authentic about the terror you know that floods you and how important it is to kind of keep yourself together and have your your own act handled so to speak so that you can really focus my my question though is do you have some sort of a technique you know do you go to the to the tallest guy or, or woman in the yard and like take you know swing at them so that everybody knows like there's a new sheriff in town kind of thing or are you you know obsequious and deferential or do you have a a sort of first move when you're uh approaching a team so that you can either l establish who you are or establish what their pecking order is and find out who the you know snakes in the grass are in the group so to speak I, you know I love that question and, and so I'm going to answer it from a different angle so Great. first of all before we ever step into a room there is a whole period of contracting and assessment that happens before that we're going to meet with a client. We're going to talk about this. We're going to do interviews. We're going to talk with the team leader. We're going to probably talk with some stakeholders, produce an interview summary report, bring that back to the team, 
maybe observe them for a day. So there's a whole heck of a lot of assimilation that we're doing prior to stepping in. So we can understand the territory. It also allows us to build some rapport with the different members. So we're not just some foreign entity that arrives one day out of nowhere. So that, that's number one, and that's important. Number two, we establish a formal coaching relationship with the leader throughout the engagement. It's the only formal coaching relationship we have, and it looks like a, a regular executive coaching relationship. We can meet before and after every meeting or once or twice a month, and that really helps us keep the rapport with the leader and keep in our minds that this is the leader's team and the leader's meeting, not ours. And so when we step into the, the team meeting for the first time, we've talked with the leader, we've talked about what moves look like, and our first moves will almost always be with that team leader which sets the tone, shows the role modeling, and allows the team to see that this is probably not so scary of a thing and the team leader's doing it, so it's probably okay. What's the, do you have any techniques or styles or ways that you get the teams enrolled, right? Because the, the people that brought you in are, are enrolled. They want you to be there. But how do you get the actual participants excited and enrolled and, like, buying into this process? Right, so... Good question. Again, that's not my job. It is the organization, the system, and the team leader's job. So what's really interesting about team coaching as a philosophy, unlike the consultant, facilitator, team builder, team trainer, this is not our meeting. This is not our team. So we interview team members. We try to be as open and candid and light as we can. We talk with a team leader. Same thing. It really is for the team leader and the team to talk about this before we arrive to create that sense of engagement and desire. In the moment when we're there, they even though we've talked about team coaching as something different, even though they're, they think they've heard something different, they're probably still expecting us to facilitate the meeting, right. to do the team training, or to all of a sudden start giving advice. And instead, we're very quiet. We sit back and listen. We don't do a whole lot at first. And then out of nowhere, we'll ask a question that has them have to look at themselves in the moment on a behavior they've probably been struggling with for years. And at that very moment, they get it. They go, holy cow, this is different. And then we ask them, what are you going to do about it? And for the first time, maybe in their careers, they're having to actually deal with a behavior, a way of working that's not working and have to deal with it and talk about it openly. That gets them, trust me, that gets them excited. So the old hit them between the eyes with a two by four <laughs> technique. It's not it's not actually dissimilar from what I was proposing, right? About the prison yard. Like so, you kind of hang back, you watch the dynamics, you identify some fundamental context or behavioral pattern that they haven't seen or called out before, and then you call it out. Is that fair? A fair characterization? Yeah. It is fair. It's absolutely fair. And what's amazing about that is two things. One, they've all known about it. And they've all been hedging it and working right. around it for right. years. So it's the monologuing behavior or the, or, or the lack of balance in, in, in the participation in the room or it's the inability to make a decision or it's the interrupting or the stacking or whatever it is. And they deal with it and they hedge it and they've been, you know, they've been um, compromising with it for years. By calling it out, the pattern, as we call it, gets becomes explicit from the implicit. And then they have to deal with it. It's like, now that it's called out, what are you gonna do? And what's surprising, right, is that see the consultant or the facilitator, we wanna do something about it. We wanna fix the problem. 
actually they're big boys and girls. These are seasoned execs and they have solutions of their own and they can bring them to the table. And oftentimes those solutions work quite well. Any safety precautions, anything that you would caution uh, coaches who are entering a team environment for a new t for the first time, or maybe not for the first time, but have been struggling with effectiveness? Um, any any words of do's and don'ts, things like here's what I learned that you should never do with a group or a team? Yeah, there's <laughs> that list is long, uh, but I'll, I'll give you a, a, a simple idea. There was there was a period of time 20 or so years ago when the field of team development got really deep into what I would call group dynamics. Rightly so, we were all interested in going deep into trust and integrity and relationships and so on. And so we would come into these businesses and organizations and really kind of open up Pandora's box and did deep, deep, deep work. Unfortunately, for many organizations, the work was too deep. It wasn't appropriate and it left damage. And there were a lot of folks who were doing this work that probably didn't have the qualifications or the ability to really handle what happens in the business system when you start to undo, you know, yeah. unlock trust. So what I would say is think of two axes, task and relationship. Task is goal setting, decision making, managing your meetings, um, accountability in terms of keeping your to-dos, et cetera. And relationship is the trust and the ownership and the communication. Start with task. In the early days, get points on the board. Work on the team's ability to run an effective meeting, get work done, make good decisions, stay accountable. When that is done and when the team starts to get points on the board and traction, you'll see something magical happen. Is that When teams work together and perform together, they start to feel better together. And a great part of the relationship stuff goes away. And what you're left with then are real relationship issues with which the team can deal better now that they perhaps feel more confident and they're working better together. It's counterintuitive that after 20 years of doing this, I can stand by that suggestion. It's, um, yeah, I love the, I love the counterintuitive nature of it. And thanks for pointing to it. Cause I've been, I've been there. I want to, you uh, touched on something <laughs> a couple of times that I want to pick up after our break, which is about trust. I've had a, I've had an experience with my own team recently and uh, was caught unawares by how, uh, impactful it was to me and being the leader of that team I'm you know sure that there's an impact that's trickling down even while I'm not addressing it currently so we'll talk about that when we come back Alex any anything for the next minute or so for Alexander uh, the thing I'm most interested in is the training your training and how you know people can do the things that you're doing like young younger coaches people in their 20s 30s and 40s that haven't being able to be as successful as you are in, in the corporate team coaching world. Heck yes. Great. So what, uh, can you give us a, a URL or where can we go to find out more information about the upcoming training that you're leading? Go to www.corentus.com, C-O-R-E-N-T-U-S, corentus.com. And there, if you would go to, uh, I'll give you an exact, uh, when we come back, I'll give you uh, another address for members only where you can get in and get our uh, our book and access to all those materials. Okay. One of the places that I've gone, uh, thanks to something you sent me ahead of time, is Corentus.com heart and results. Is that a useful place for people to go? 
It is go there and then use the password heart and results, heart ampersand results, and that'll get you into our members page. You'll be able to download our mini book and a lot of other resources like videos, and then you'll learn all about our uh, team coaching certificate program. Great. And the details are Corentus, that's C-O-R-E-N-T-U-S.com forward slash heart and spell it out, heart and results. And then when you get there, it'll ask you for a password. And that password is spell out the word heart ampersand results, R-E-S-U-L-T-S. We'll be back with more about team coaching with the CEO and founder of Corentus, Alexander Kaye. You're listening to The Coaching Show with Alex Terranova and Crystal McCollin. We'll be right back after the podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, the coaching show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Gotham Books presents Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. The book Martha Beck calls, Required reading for anyone hoping to interact successfully with any other human, not just for those in romantic relationships. Get your copy wherever books and ebooks are sold and visit harrietlearner.com to learn how to change your marriage today. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McCullough, Master Certified Coach. And before we get back to our guest, I just want to say a couple of words about our longtime sponsor of this program, Accomplishment Coaching. If you're uh, like me, well, if you are, God help you. But uh, if you are, you're looking for the finest things in the world. You don't go uh, looking necessarily for the least expensive or the quickest or the most popular, but you look for uh, true quality. And if you're looking for true quality in your coach training and you're interested in doing a comprehensive program, not a multi-module program, not a program that starts in one year and might end in another decade, but if you're interested in... uh, the world's finest coach training program designed that way from the very beginning, check out accomplishmentcoaching.com. In North America, available in a bunch of different cities. Alex, do you want to do you want to try your hand at the cities? Victoria, B.C., San Diego, Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C. And home of Boeing and 
Microsoft and Seattle. Kirkland. That's right. Exactly. I right. saved the best for last. Right. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So if you're within uh, a plane flight or any sort of transportation to any of those cities, please check it out. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. One of my favorite things about them is that you can go and observe their approach to coach training. Uh, go actually observe their coach training program in process uh, simply by uh, sending an email and letting them know you're coming. AccomplishmentCoaching.com, home of the world's finest coach training program. The world's finest coach training program provides, creates the world's finest coaches. Check it out. All right. We continue now in our conversation with uh, Alex Terranova and uh, as our guest co-host in studio. That's hard to say. Uh, Alex Terranova is a dream mason. You can find out more about him and his work by going to the Dream Mason. He's also host of the Dream Mason podcast, and you can connect with him on Instagram at, at @inspirationalalex. Do you have to say that at part? I, I I don't think you do Instagram inspirational. Maybe you do. It's at, like Twitter. Yeah, it's it's like Twitter. People yeah, know. I think you have to say. All right, uh, we're delighted to have him back with us, and um, uh, he does not build strong and successful <laughs> men. He helps strong successful men mostly boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Our guest today is Alexander Caillé. He's an organizational psychologist. He's also the CEO of Corentis, a coaching and consulting organization dedicated to transforming teams. You can find out more about the work that they've done over the past 25 years by going to Corentus, C-O-R-E-N-T-U-S, Corentus.com. Alexander is also on the faculty of Georgetown University's Institution for Institute, forgive me, for Transformational Leadership. He's a frequent international speaker. In fact, you spoke, was it last year at the uh, Washington, D.C. ICF Capital Coaches Conference, Alexander? Yeah, yeah, we did. did a keynote there. Beautiful. Uh, he holds a B.S. in psychology from the University of Michigan, go blue, and an M.A. in organizational psychology from Columbia University, a dual citizen of France and the United States, currently residing in Boston, Massachusetts. Um Alexander, I, I teased before the break about trust. I heard you reference it, and I had this experience yesterday, and I'm, I'm eager to hear your approach as well as your thoughts and experience about this. I had an experience yesterday where I was talking to somebody on one of my teams, and this is a team. Obviously, trust is super important when we're going into an organization or a group of people trying to make the difference. As you say, you've got a limited time, sort of a limited capital uh period where you can make that difference and I realized suddenly and embarrassingly publicly that I didn't trust my team mm. there was some combination of you know breakdowns and people quitting and people uh, not listening to the directions that I was giving that had me realize oh I'm in the middle of a big fat breakdown of not trusting people on my team how in the world am I going to create anything with people on their team I'm wondering if it's something you've got something to say about yeah, so thanks for sharing that. It's not uncommon on, you know, from, from all sides of the equation in teams for trust to be an issue. You know, Before the break, we talked about go task first, go relationship second. In the relationship axis, trust is one of the top, and it's, it, it's, it's almost always something that teams want to take a look at. Now, I, we could talk about it theoretically, or I could share with you an approach that I have to working on trust that might be helpful. Is, is that something you'd like me to do? I think it'd be great if you don't mind a few thousand, tens of thousand people listening in. No, I think I, I think it, I think methodology is helpful. So the key to trust is to make the implicit explicit. And trust conversations are tough by nature. And so 
the way that we do it is we introduce trust as an idea and have the team just talk about trust and what it means to them. And then we introduce a very simple equation. You know, that trust is a factor of, of trust is a, is a product of five factors. It's motives, honesty, integrity, competence, results. And we use those five factors to gauge how much we trust others or not. And so part one of the exercise is to have each person look at those five factors and assess for themselves what's the factor that's missing. Is it motives, trust? Is it motives, integrity, honesty, competence, and results? And from there, then, a couple of things can happen. By doing an assessment of the other individuals on the team, then you can get a better idea of who it is that you trust or not. And then you can step into what we call a trust, trust conversations, which we'll talk about in a moment. The other thing you can do is you can just open up the conversation to those five factors and have a team-based conversation around which one, the, which one of those five factors is present or not present. And it's interesting to, to have that difficult conversation because you can crystallize it down. Is it really that we're not producing results? Is it that we're not showing competence? Is there an integrity issue here about not doing what we'll say we'll do? Are there honesty issues? Or is it something around the motives that we hold? So let me just stop there before we talk about the trust conversation. It's beautiful. And um, when I'm looking, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it uh, dualistically. Uh, I'm looking at how the team is looking at me. I'm kind of I'm wondering how this circular pattern got started. Is it, did it start with me not trusting them and then they decided not to trust me? Is it just my issue? I'm not trusting them and they are trusting me? Or did it, you know what I'm uh, saying? Is there? Yeah, so you know, trust issues have a beginning. There's a triggering event. Think of you know relationships in our lives. It's all trusting until something happens where one of those five factors was uh, was broken. And when a, when a factor is broken, it's important to be able to speak it. So by doing the assessment of the five factors, we can start to look at you know what is it that I don't trust anymore, and is it the collective or individuals? That's important. But by discern making that discernment, Christopher, then what we do is we can have what I call the one-on-ones or the public conversations about that. And that would be, if I'm one of your team members, we would sit together and if you really had a trust issue with one of those factors, you would then engage an I statement conversation with me, which is, you know, Alex, when you did this or when you said that, I felt this because, so you're, you're stating your grievance, I can explore that with you and then you can share with me what your request is. So what is your request to me? And then we can have a negotiation around a new behavior. That's the powerful piece of trust is that conversation, which comes after the assessment. And that can be done one-on-one, -on -one, or I know teams who actually do it publicly, one person in the seat, five people in a semicircle, and they all do I statements with that person based on their trust assessments. It's, it's pretty powerful. That's really beautiful. I, um, I can also see in it my habit or pattern of thought and behavior, which is normally once trust is broken, I'm out, right? Mm -hmm. Like just drop that relationship, drop that uh, client, drop that something, right? As opposed to actually working through it and uh, working to reestablish trust. Is that uncommon or am I just a weirdo or both? It's not uncommon. And, you know, when I look at my own life, I, 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 I am like you in that way. Trust for me is so important that when it's broken, I want to split. And I think over the years, I've had to do a little bit of analysis around how many times was I right or wrong about that which I did no longer trust. In other words, 
how many times did my assessments and my judgments come in the way of actually seeing the facts? And because that number is high as a percentage, I have come to learn that actually exploring the source of the mistrust might actually bring to light the fact that I misunderstood, did not have all the facts, did not quite grasp the situation, and therefore my mistrust was perhaps misplaced. So it's worth, it's worth trying. It could have been well-placed, in which case we can try to solve it, but in case it wasn't, it, it's worth the trying. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And what I'm, what I'm really getting from this is, you know, as you, as you guys were talking about it, I'm thinking about, you know, they say when we break a bone, it heals stronger than it actually was. And that if people are actually willing to do this work, oh. the trust or the relationship can, can heal stronger than it actually was. That's yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah. And I love how you broke it down so simple. Like there's five things to look at and it would require the vulnerability within an organization or group to say, Hey, let's have this conversation. Is there, is there a way that you, okay. When we were talking about enrollment before you said, Hey, it's the company's job, but now you're in the trenches with the people and mm -hmm. trust is broken. Not everybody is trained necessarily like we are to see this. When you have somebody that would run away, you know, that they're natural, they're, they're just, I want to call them a civilian because they're not trained in these things. <laughs> How do you get them to stay? You know, mm -hmm. you know, you have a group of 10 people, you're in this trust conversation, it's broken. And how do you actually get them to stay in and be willing to have this conversation? So I, I, I love the question. And the answer for me lives in a whole domain called tools, methods, and practices. What, what was, what's been very surprising to me over the years, I, I'm, I'm going to digress a bit and come back to your question, sure. Alex. What, what's been surprising to me over the years is, um, is the lack of training or skills or knowledge that your average manager or executive has in the domain of teams. We just take a person and say, okay, run the team. We give them a bit of team training, but teams and systems and groups are complex and they require tooling. And there are really well-known practices and tools and methods to get stuff done. And, and part of the team coaching philosophy is to give the client as many tools as possible so they can learn to do things. Now we go to trust. One of the reasons why trust is so scary is that people's experience with it has been really hard. Most people have had really difficult stories and difficult uh, situations with trust. So when it comes up, they run. The past has been awful. There's no real method to solve it. It always ends up in a bad place, so I'm not dealing with it. When you introduce a methodology like the one I just introduced to you and you bring it you know, in, in a simplistic and practical manner, it takes the mysticism away from what is truly an, an esoteric concept and provides a step-by-step -step process that the client can step into. And if they trust you and they know you're good at what you do, they'll go with you. Now, in that case, you're more of a facilitator than a team coach, Alex. You're no longer observing and asking the questions. You're driving the process. That's pretty awesome. Um <laughs> Uh, what are some exemplary results that you've been able to produce with teams? In other words, what are the what are the sorts of team issues that you feel comfortable addressing? And are there are there team issues that you won't address or don't take on because that's not useful or it's not what you do or it's not a good idea for a coach to take that on? Yeah. So 
the ones that are most often at the surface or the ones I most often deal with are the following. You know, our, our definition of a team is a small group of people who work together in collaboration to achieve a common purpose instead of shared goals for which they hold themselves mutually accountable. That definition is an adaptation of the Katzenbach and Smith definition in the wisdom of teams from 1996. When you look at that equation, you realize that it's purpose, it's common purpose and shared goals, it's collaboration, it's mutual accountability. And when you look at that, you say, I see that top issues are teams don't have a sense of common purpose and they don't have shared goals. They have a, an idea of a direction and they have individual goals. So a top issue is common purpose and shared goals. Second one is who should be on the team? Who's the right membership for the team? And that has to deal with what the team is delivering for the shared goals. Those are called collective work products. You should have the people on the team who need to work on those collective work products and no more. Then you look at collaboration and there's a whole host of issues there. And the top are managing meetings, believe it or not, decision-making, right? Managing conflict. And I would say listening and asking questions. And then finally, in accountability, it's the idea of how do you hold each other accountable for making and keeping agreements? Those are the top issues. I'll work on all of those, no problem. Where I, where I tend to shy away from is if I'm in an organizational context and there are issues around diversity, issues around um, maybe harassment, issues that start to delve into legal and ethical concepts, that are best handled by the organization's HR departments and specialists. There are certain topics that if you open them up in a room and you don't have an ethical or legal person with you, you might end up getting yourself into some, some trouble. So I'll tend to sidestep those and make a request for the leader to deal with it in a different manner. And, and how come? Because they're fraught with peril? Or what's the, what's the thing that you're shying away from there? Well, I think what happens is they can be identified. So someone may say, you know, and I've, I've, I've had this happen many times in the room, someone will say, you know, I believe there's, there's racism in this team, or I feel that there's a gender imbalance in the team, or I feel there's a real, there's really bad humor or whatever the, the complaint is, the grievance is. Fine. I think it's one thing to call it out, label it, and hold it and say that's something the team needs to work on. I'm not qualified to do the next steps. I'm not qualified to then handle racism in a team or harassment of any kind. That is, a, that, that is a field that within an organizational setting is best handled by experts who can manage the context and also be accountable for anything that tends to maybe derail or go sideways. So those are just issues that I'll hand over to the proper, the proper individuals. Got it. So knowing where, what you're good at or what you're competent in and what you're not. I like it. Yeah. Absolutely, and the expertise in it, um, and that—that that, that's also something that we have to be, as you said, very aware of. And you, one of the things about your Corentis is you guys train people in all these things. So you guys, you have a team coaching certificate program. Is somebody that would take this program going to get? You know, tell tell me a little about the program, like how you would actually teach a, a coach to get to the level <laughs> that you're at. Yeah, so that's. That's been a remarkable journey for us. It's taken us several cohorts to 
really begin to get that right. So the program itself is a year long. It is an intensive period of time, and there are four in-person meetings uh, accompanied by bi-weekly calls and accompanied by the delivery of webinars by the students. And each student needs to have a real team, pro bono team that they work with throughout the duration. So we teach the end-to-end -end process from the contracting to the assessment to the initial meetings all the way through the ongoing meeting. We teach our core frameworks of the team wheel, the operating modes, and the team life cycle. And then we give the students over 20 different tools that they can use with teams as we teach them the distinctions between coaching, facilitation, consulting, and training, which they practice. They practice in the in-person meetings through simulations and role plays, and by coaching the actual Corentis team, the leadership team that we are, the faculty team. And then they do this also with their pro bono teams. They are supervised, they hand in recordings, we listen to the recordings, and they have to accomplish a certain level on our competency list. I'm actually looking at your competency list right now. It's pretty detailed and what's one of the ones what's one of the competencies that you see that you would like to develop? Alex. Um, well, there's competencies on here that I, you know that I, I see like making moves in the team setting um, <laughs> is something that I haven't had any experience with on a on a traditional coaching level. like I you know, I don't even know what that means. Um, so that was the first one that got my attention. I was like, what would that? If only we had the CEO here that we could ask. Oh, wait, yeah. we do. <laughs> what, does, what does it mean, making moves with the team? So the team coaching model that we've developed has three components to it. There's a centerpiece. Think of it as a three. There are three pieces to it. The centerpiece is being, which is the conversation you were having earlier about what state of mind and what level of beingness do you need to be in the room. Then there's a piece called sensing and a piece called making moves. A big part of our work is once you're in the room, you need to be gathering data. So we have some really, really good tools to gather data with. Uh, behavioral charting, communication flow charting, what we call outcome pattern norm charting. And we do this around specific focus areas like decision making or accountability or goal setting. So we gather data, that's sensing. Once we feel we have a body of data that's worth sharing, we make a move. And what's a move? A move is one part sharing the data, if we wish to do so, and asking them what they think about it. We share it neutrally. We can ask a question about what they're noticing or what they're seeing, and that's called the ask or tell move. And once that's done and they start to work with it, we can engage them in a very short period of practice, which is a facilitation move, really, to have them practice the particular behavior that we're looking for. So we gather the data and sensing, and the move is we ask, we tell, and then we engage them in practice really quick. And then we step out again, because it's not our meeting. So it's this, like this, what a lot of students say, it's almost like it's like Tai Chi, right? You hold the energy for a bit, you jump in, you make a, a number of moves, and then you step out. It's like a pivot. We pivot in and out, but we don't hold the space for too long. Nice. It's really great. I also want to uh, let people know that there's a you have a YouTube channel. So if people are interested, there's uh, other ways to get information about the work that you do, as well as to see some examples of the coaching work that you do in the team setting and the and of course the team coaching certificate. It's a nine month program, uh, twelve days in person, three 
modules of four days each. When does the next one start? It starts next September in earnest, and the what we call the reading period, and the information reading period starts in the summer. So students can expect by June and July to be reading materials and having a few early calls to discuss the frameworks. It's a very collegial, supportive, and uh, learning-rich environment. Who, who's the ideal person to sign up for this program? Great question. So for us, the ideal person is um, an individual who has a real interest in teams, groups, systems, and making improvements within them. Uh, an individual who has maybe worked in teams before, led teams, been a team member, understands the context, and has had some familiarity. And an individual who has some basic coaching training, that's ideal, because we jump right into coaching as the modality, but also comes equipped maybe with uh, some mastery or some high competence in facilitation, consulting, training, or teaching. Do they need to have that pro bono team already, or do you teach them how to acquire that team? We help them do that. We, um, When they come in, they don't have to have the team. There's a whole upfront period where we help them find the team, stage the team, contract with the team, and then do all of the micro steps uh, from beginning to end of the engagement over the nine months. It sounds like a powerful program. How many dollars does it cost to join this program, and is there an application process? There's an application process which is online. The full price, I think, right now is around eighteen thousand. It's pricey, and there are two ways to get discounts, which brings the price down considerably. But when we look at what students get after what really is a year plus the reading period, um, it's well, well, well worth the money. I think you know a, a student can get that return on investment within one. Engagement. engagement, exactly, yeah. Okay, very yeah. good. So, uh, again, you can get a free copy of Alexander Calle's new mini-book, An Introduction to Corentus Team Coaching, by going to corentus.com, that's C-O-R-E-N-T-U-S.com, forward slash heart and results, spell that out, H-E-A-R-T-A-N-D-R-E-S-U-L-T-S. And then once you're there, the password is heart ampersand results, lowercase, and then you can get in and not only get that free copy, but a lot more information, including information about the Corentis Team Coaching Certificate Program. Uh, you can also just do that by going to Corentis.com. Check it out on Twitter, Team Corentis, or the YouTube channel, Corentus, C-O-R-E-N-T-U-S. Um, I've appreciated having you here. I've appreciated the work that you've done with me, and thank you for all of your contributions to the uh, industry, including your uh, presentation at the ICF. Capital Coaches Conference. Quick question. Favorite hotel in Washington, D.C.? Ready, go. Oh, but, 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 uh, it's going to be the Kimpton Monaco. Nice. I'm a Park Hyatt man myself, but I like <laughs> I like where you're looking. And uh, I want to give you, uh, we've got just about a minute left in our time together today. It's flown by for us. I want to give you that minute. What's a, a parting thought or a parting shot? If you had something to say to 50,000 coaches today, what would you leave us with to consider or be challenged by today? Hmm. That's a wonderful last question. So I, I would leave you with a thought, which is a, a personal feeling of mine. Um, so many human beings come to work each day having to work in teams and groups. And so much of that experience is fraught with, you know, distress, anxiety, and, and, and quite a bit of suffering. There really is 
the possibility through this work of, of bringing people together in a pretty miraculous way to do what they love to do in a way that's really harmonious and powerful. And seeing that happen for real in a sustainable manner is worth all of the, the time and energy it takes to make it happen. So there's hope. And uh, it's on that hope that we based our company. It's on that hope that my heart uh, sings every day. Beautiful. That's Alexander Kaye. Thank you for your leadership, sir, and thank you for your time with us today. Alex Such Tara a pleasure. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much. Alex Terranova. You can find him on the dreammason.com or at the Dream Mason podcast. I'm Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Delighted to bring you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, doing something interesting, or just, just plain wacky each and every week here on the coaching show podcast any uh, final words for our audience today mr Terranova? i'm really looking forward to talking to you about trust when this is over <laughs> i'm afraid i have to leave uh <laughs> thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week the coaching show is brought to you by accomplishment coaching home of the world finest coach training program that's all for today's edition we will talk to you next week i feel like i just said that <laughs>